Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond, and welcome to our special Pulse Check series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm in conversation with two of my colleagues, Tyler Pager. He's a reporter on Politico's White House team, and Jeremy Siegel, the great host of our daily Dispatch podcast. We're looking at President-elect Joe Biden's health team and what his choices could mean for the nation's coronavirus response. Here's our conversation. I love Vegas in the summer. Have you guys ever been to Vegas? <laughs> where, where do these questions go? Yes, I used to go uh, quite regularly to Vegas, though it's been some time. I've only been to Vegas to cover the Democratic primary out there. Okay, sounds like Dan will be a bit more familiar with this, but I want you guys to imagine that you're in Vegas. It's like, say, a week ago. Biden hasn't announced his health secretary or other top health officials or anything. You're in a bar uh, watching some live music. Um, Dan, I'll let you choose here. Are, are you watching live music from uh, Elvis or Dean Martin? <laughs> I'm more of a swingers era uh, Vegas from, from the, the 1990s. <laughs> Dating yourself there. Yeah, wh- wh- whatever whatever music appeared in that movie. Vegas, baby, Vegas! That's, that's what I'd have on. So uh, you're, you're sitting in this bar listening to some uh, Swingers soundtrack music. Uh, pretty cool. You just come back from the casino where you guys made a big old bet here. Tyler, how much did you bet? Say $100, dollars $100, $200. All right, pretty bold. So you just bet $120 on who you thought would be on Biden's health team. We're talking the heads of the uh, CDC, the health secretary. And while you're sitting there watching... Uh, uh, music from Swingers here. Breaking overnight, President-elect Joe Biden has announced a string of top appointees who could dramatically change the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic. Biden announces those positions. Um, I'm curious, you guys make any money here? Do you predict right, or were these choices surprises? We'd make some money and lose some money. There were some, you know, pretty obvious choices of people that were going to go back into the government. Um, but definitely some surprises. I would particularly point to the Secretary of Health and Human Services as one that surprised many, including me. President-elect Joe Biden picks California Attorney General Javier Becerra as his Health and Human Services Secretary. Jeremy, I, I think I get cleaned out. I mean, <laughs> even the people who ended up where we thought they, they might end up in the government didn't necessarily end up in the jobs that we thought they'd have. Like the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy going back to being Surgeon General. I don't think that's happened before in the modern era. So it was a surprising turn of events all the way through. And thank goodness for Tyler's reporting, which I was glued to as he updated every twist and turn. So Tyler, I want to get into all those twists and turns and putting together the health team and your reporting on it. We now have basically all the top positions announced, among them Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who heads up infectious diseases at Massachusetts General Hospital, as the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Jeff Science, a veteran of the Obama administration to be White House coordinator of the coronavirus response, Dr. Vivek Murthy as Surgeon General, and then the one that surprised you, beat your odds in Vegas, surprised a lot of people, Former Congressman and California Attorney General, currently Javier Becerra. Tyler, there were a lot of twists and turns leading to that decision on Becerra. Where does it begin? 
Yeah, so one of the the people that that I was told was very interested in the position and and made a concerted push for it um, was New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Good evening, America. I'm Michelle Lujan Grisham, governor of the great state of Nuevo Mexico. She's a co-chair of the Biden-Harris transition. She was vetted for vice president and, and impressed Biden's team. I'm proud of my home state every single day, especially how we have punched above our weight in our successful response to COVID-19. She was secretary of health in the state of New Mexico. So someone that had deep health experience, had a personal story about why she was so drawn to health, losing family members to medical issues. And so she really wanted that position. And then it leaked out that the Biden team had offered her the interior and she turned them down. I mean, that was said to have hurt her candidacy for the HHS secretary. But, you know, her perspective from people that I've spoken with that that spoke with her was her heart wasn't in interior. She wanted to be the health and human service secretary at this critical time. And so when that, you know, didn't work out, another person that was seen as a, as a top competitor for the job was Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo. Rhode Island was nestled between New York and Boston, two hotspots. We are the second most densely populated state in the country. We were among the hardest hit in America. And so we had to get into action. And we reported that rollout plans were in place for the Biden team to announce her as the Health and Human Service Secretary. The team was ready. And then all of a sudden, those plans you know, dissipated. It was, this is not going to happen. Our reporting showed that there was some issues on both sides. Progressives were not excited about Ramondo taking that role. But Ramondo and her team also had reservations about her taking the role. Ramondo has two school-aged children, and, and she made it clear that she only wanted to move to Washington for the right position. And Ramondo's advisors were concerned about the makeup of Biden's health team, and particularly the role of Health and Human Service Secretary, at a time when there's already a COVID office run by Jeff Science in the White House. But Ramondo's advisors were worried that anytime something went wrong, the HHS department and her would be blamed. And anytime something went right, the White House would be eager to take credit. And so they felt it was a a lose-lose situation there and that she would be tasked with the hardest problems and never get credit for solving them. Okay, so that doesn't work out either. How then do we end up with Javier Becerra? Becerra was someone that was looked at for a lot of different positions. There was a lot of pressure from Hispanic leaders and activists who felt Biden didn't have enough diverse cabinet, particularly with Hispanics in top positions. Um, And so as they started to look into his background a little bit more, um, you know, he was looked at for attorney general, a position not yet filled. And they ultimately decided that he was someone that had managerial experience and also a connection to health issues. They are talking about when he was just graduated from Stanford Law School, he worked at a, at a legal clinic and helped people who needed access to mental health care. He's also taken a leading role as attorney general in leading blue states in the fight against the Trump administration's rollback of the Affordable Care Act. And so they really were connected to his personal story as someone that could come in and play a critical role in shaping the future of of healthcare policy in our country. So now this team is put together with Becerra at the center as health secretary, but all of these picks, or a lot of them, are going to need to be confirmed uh, by by the Senate. I'm curious what both of you think about this. I'll start with you, Dan. Do you think anyone could have a problem getting confirmed? I think Becerra absolutely is going to face a big fight. This is a guy who has been on the record supporting Medicare for All. He has worked on legal cases that were hailed by the left fighting 
against anti-abortion efforts in California, for instance. California will defend a woman's health care rights, and we will stand up to any and all attacks on women's reproductive rights. But all of that fodder that, that excited people on the progressive side of the aisle is going to motivate, and we've already seen senators like John Cornyn, Texas Republican, Mike Braun, Indiana Republican, come out and say that they think that Becerra is not right for the role. Our record speaks for itself. We stopped the Trump administration from rolling back rules that aim to deny women access to birth control. And we continue to defend the Affordable Care Act in federal court. Fairly or not, he has emerged as one of the targets for the right. Meanwhile, Vivek Murthy going for a second tour as Surgeon General, that could be a big confirmation fight, too. His last effort to get confirmed was no picnic. That stretched for about a year, halfway through uh, Barack Obama's second term. Surgeon General Murthy had gone on the record warning about gun violence as a public health issue. There has been controversy around my nomination for Surgeon General around a tweet uh, that I had posted a few years ago after the Newtown uh, shooting where I said that gun violence is a public health issue. And I said that after Newtown, I'll say it again today. That would seem to be a no-brainer to a lot of people in the healthcare community, but it got the National Rifle Association incredibly motivated to stop Murthy from being confirmed. As a result, he ended up serving only about two and a half years and, and didn't get to finish out his normal four-year term. So I expect some of those gun issues to come back up in a Senate that may well be controlled by Republicans or will be very close. And because Vivek Murthy served for a bit in the Trump administration, there will be plenty of Trump officials who worked with him, perhaps have some internal documents from the Health and Human Services Department that they will leak in ways to make Surgeon General Murthy look bad as he goes through another confirmation. Yeah, I would say that those are the two that, that are going to face the biggest hurdles in, in getting um, over the finish line and, and, and confirmed. You know, for someone like Zients, who's in a White House position, he doesn't need to face confirmation. Um, but but I do think Becerra's experience, plus his public comments about Medicare for all, um, which is a position that Joe Biden does not support. And, and in talking with folks uh, associated with the transition, they have made it clear that that Becerra is in line with Biden and, and, and his policies on, on how to get universal health coverage, which is expanding uh, the Affordable Care Act and adding a public option. But it is definitely going to be um, something where Republicans try to dig in on there. And, and, and just echoing Dan, I think the gun violence comments um, that Vivek Murthy has made has raised raised concerns among the Republicans. And those could be areas of concern for, for Biden's nominees as they face hearings. I just want to underline a point, too, about Becerra, that this idea that he might not have the management experience for HHS, this is not just a Republican attack. I think this is a legitimate observation. When you look at who has been secretary of this giant department, which oversees trillion dollar plus uh, budget and has 80,000 employees, and the issues aren't just overseeing the response to COVID-19 or the Affordable Care Act or rolling out Medicaid expansion. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And the folks who have been in that job include former governors like Kathleen Sebelius, Tommy Thompson, Mike Levitt. More recently, people like Sylvia Matthews Burwell and Alex Azar, they weren't governors, but they had been in either very senior administration roles in the past. Azar had been the number two guy at HHS, and they'd also gotten considerable experience outside of the government. 
Uh, Sylvia Burwell had been, I think, the chief operating officer at the Gates Foundation, which is a large entity with international concerns. And Alex Azar had been at Eli Lilly, a big drunk company, in a very senior role. Becerra does have four years as California Attorney General, but that is that is a very different kind of job than the slow-moving HHS managerial piece, which is not necessarily well-suited for a member of Congress. Tom Price, who was Trump's first health secretary, had real speed bumps in coming over from being a congressman for a long time. I don't know if that will happen with Becerra, but it's something we're definitely watching. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in a minute after a message from our sponsor. Dan, what do you think these picks for the health team mean for the nation's coronavirus response? Well, Jeremy, the Trump administration would say that these picks are mostly negligible because in their mind, much of the vaccine rollout will just be mop-up work come early next year. The Trump administration is trying very, very hard to push their side of the story that vaccines are, are coming and they'll be here before Joe Biden is sworn in on Inauguration Day, if that even happens, according to some people in the White House. But if I look at that team top to bottom, I do see people who know how government work. Jeff Zients, who had been a key fixer for healthcare.gov, the Obamacare website screw up, does know how to come in and logistically run an operation. He'd also been a top budget official under President Obama. He's been on the transition for Biden. He knows who the players are. He knows how government works. Vivek Murthy is an incredible communicator. And if he's in a role where he'll be going on TV messaging about what the Biden team is doing, that will play well, I think. He, he knows how to get simple messages across to large numbers of people, and that's a key component of public health. The fact that Tony Fauci is staying on, I actually don't see that as much of a surprise. I mean, Fauci is a career civil servant. He's been in this job for years and years. Biden making a big show about having Fauci on his team. I, I think it's legitimate. He'll listen to Tony Fauci, but most likely any president would have done that, except maybe Donald Trump. And I, I also think when I'm looking at this team, Jeremy, the risk is that a lot of them don't really know each other that well. There's no world where Rochelle Walensky, the incoming CDC director from Mass General, really has a relationship probably with Becerra, who could be her boss as HHS secretary. So there could be a little bit of get-to-know-you time as they're trying to respond to this crisis in the moment. What about other health issues? I mean, obviously, health care, the future of the Affordable Care Act is on the line. Dan, how do you think this team could alter the future of U.S. health policy beyond the coronavirus pandemic? Well, I think we won't know that until we find out the rest of the team. There are still big jobs to fill around FDA. We don't know who Biden's pick will be to run that agency around CMS, the Medicare and Medicaid agency, and other senior roles, rural health, the position that works with Americans with disabilities, there, there is still the rest of the health cabinet essentially to hammer out. But because Biden wanted to make it clear that coronavirus was his top priority, we got the team that he has assembled to fight coronavirus. How Rochelle Walensky, an infectious disease doctor at Mass General, is able to pivot after the coronavirus pandemic and address issues like obesity, like vaping, I don't know if we can predict how that team will do because there isn't as much of a track record around those issues. Tyler, how would you say that the Biden health team fits more broadly into what we've seen 
coming from President-elect Biden over the past couple weeks and what we might see from a Biden White House next year. Yeah, I think it fits exactly with the message that he's trying to portray to the American people, that he is choosing very experienced, senior and qualified people for the jobs that they are filling. He has made a big effort to be very clear to the American people that he is prioritizing science. He's prioritizing people who have been in the type of roles they're filling for the most part. I think Becerra is an exception, but for a lot of these people, they're filling jobs that they've done to a certain extent, whether that's Vivek Murthy filling the exact same job he did in the Obama administration or someone like Rochelle Walensky, who is an infectious disease expert taking control of an organization like the CDC or or Jeff Sines, you know, coming in to be a coordinator of a, of a large scale government effort. And so I think Biden is making a very clear statement about the type of people he is surrounding himself with and something that we've seen across the board, you know, for his national security team. He picked John Kerry to lead a climate envoy position. John Kerry, former Secretary of State. He picked Tony Blinken to be Secretary of State. And and Tony Blinken was his national security advisor in the White House, held the top position in the State Department before. Or Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the ambassador to the UN, who was in the Foreign Service for more than 30 years. And so I think it's a very calculated, planned rollout in a contrast to how we saw Donald Trump pick his cabinet more than four years ago, where he kind of paraded officials through Trump Tower and announced their selections on Twitter. This is a very planned, um, strategic decision-making process where Biden is gathering with top officials and aides to make the decision based on who he thinks is most qualified and able to, to lead the government at a time of crisis. Tyler, I've been watching you break news about these picks, and it, it is fascinating to me, after being embedded following the Trump administration for four years, to see you get the names ahead of some of these very carefully choreographed rollouts. What's your secret? How are you doing it? I don't know that I have a secret. Um, uh, I think it's a combination of of luck and, and, and time invested in Biden world. So I've been covering Joe Biden for almost two years now, which is not actually that long compared to some people that, you know, spent eight years uh, covering the Obama administration. But I, I do think that, you know, Biden world is is there's a big orbit around Joe Biden and his aides. And there's a lot of people that are involved in these decision-making processes. So I think just trying to, you know, speak to as many people as possible that have a stake in these decisions. And I think part of the planned rollouts is is checking with different constituencies and stakeholders about are you okay with this person? Are you okay with this type of person? And trying to narrow down where the lists are. And then, you know, having well-placed sources in positions of direct knowledge as these rollouts come together. Um, I do know that the Biden transition is becoming increasingly concerned about leaks, given uh, our success here at Politico at breaking a lot of these cabinet picks before they're ready for them to be rolled out. If, if they don't like the leaks now, uh, I, I feel for them over the next number of years, <laughs> as, as every reporter in Washington tries to press them. Can, can I ask one other thing? Um, so there, there was one other surprise at the announcement, and it wasn't a policy surprise. It was just a perception thing. I saw people on social media getting really angry at reporters, reporters like Daily Beast uh, reporter Sam Stein, for pointing out that Joe Biden botched the name of Becerra and his department when he was making the announcement. For Secretary of Health and Education Service, I nominated Javier Bacaria. You know, Javier Bashir, excuse me. And to me, if the president 
any president botches the name of a cabinet secretary in his department at the big debut, that's something that reporters will note and and write about. But it seemed like there was a big push, especially from the left, that any criticism of how Biden speaks or pronounces things, that that is an attack on someone who is stuttering or that these are things that we shouldn't care about in the post-Trump era. As a reporter who deals with the Biden team, how fair do you think that resistance is? I, I do think there's going to be a lot of interesting developments, I'll put it lightly, just in terms of what the standards look like in terms of the post-Trump era when Biden takes the Oval Office. And and, and part of that, I think, stems from it's not going to be as chaotic um, and fast-moving as, as we saw with the Trump administration. And so I think Democrats and, and progressives are particularly sensitive to any sorts of criticism that compare him in any way to President Trump. And, and I I don't think that they're making an apples to apples comparison, but but I do share your perspective that a president-elect mispronouncing the name of a top person in their cabinet is worth pointing out. I don't think it, um, you know, obviously Joe Biden has struggled with a stutter for for much of his life, and that could be part of it. Um, but Joe Biden has also made it very clear that the stutter was a thing of the past and that he right. no longer struggles with that. But I do think it speaks to your larger point about how well these people know each other. And I, and I think that's worth, that's a storyline worth following. They have to work very closely together. It's going to be even exacerbated by COVID and remote working that I'm sure we'll see a lot of. And the fact that, you know, he mispronounced his name, I think is indicative of of how deep their relationship is, or rather lack thereof. So should Politico have a mispronunciation tracker as an indicator of how well the team knows each other? I, I can see that being very quickly compared to a tracker of Trump's lies and, and Democrats getting very upset. <laughs> um, but but I, I do think it's 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 something that's worth observing as we uh, as we continue to cover uh, his administration. All right, that is our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond, and my thanks to my colleagues Tyler Pager and Jeremy Siegel for joining me on this episode. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. To stay up on the latest on the pandemic, you can sign up for Politico Pulse. It's the morning newsletter, which I co-author with Adam Kankren of Politico's health team, on the day's events in health policy and politics with a special focus on COVID-19. And also, be sure to subscribe to Politico Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. Continue to stay safe. The vaccines are around the corner. And we'll be back with you again next week.